0: What is transgressive is not sex.
1: No, no, listen to me. I'm no problem with riots.
0: Falling in love is a problem.
1: I don't have to be helpful. Wait, why do I have to be
0: helpful? Look at our priceless art collection and I think, what a great country.
2: I'm good for it.
3: Welcome to episode two of Humidum. I'm joined by co-host Miriam Taylor who says that she's had a shit week.
1: Yeah, look, I've had a, a pretty shit week. Um, it actually started on the weekend with a, with a bang, if you will. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we were actually driving back from Glee Books that didn't have the Neil Perry recipe book. But which Dimmick's did. Sorry. Yeah, Dimmick's had 15 copies. Well, Glee Books is ridiculous in my opinion. Um, we walked, you know, a full five minutes to get there in the heat.
3: Yeah, it was boiling. Yeah, so... And and
1: humid. Oh, it was humid. It was quite dank. (laughs) It was very dank. (laughs) So, you know, we're driving back and I pulled over to turn around. As I was pulling out, a car smashed into me. Mm. Yeah. Complete, completely busted the whole front of my car. Couldn't drive anywhere. This has never happened before. And I don't have insurance.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And what was the the feeling, what was going through your head as the Look, car was impacting into another. Nothing
1: car? really went through my head. The the first thing I thought was, Shit, I'm not gonna have a car. Don't didn't think about no insurance. Are the other people okay? Is everybody else in my car okay? Am Fucking. I okay? It was like, crap, how am I going to get to work?
3: And I can tell you, because I was in the back of the car <laughs> yeah. when this accident happened, so it's quite a, it's, you know, hu- humid on this fortnight is coming to you by miracle. Yeah. But I can tell you in the back of the car, I was thinking, well, I've always noticed in the many car crashes that I've been in, time slows down. Yeah. And you see it happening, like, oh, this is happening now.
1: Well, I didn't like, see- Like, through my it.
3: head, it goes, this is what's happening. A car crash. Yeah. Great.
1: Yeah, and I didn't see the car pull out. Mm. Obviously, they didn't see me pull out. <laughs> but I don't remember the crash. I don't remember what happened. I remember we went to a, the dog park afterwards, and I was quite stressed. And we had to leave there to get the tow truck driver. Mm. That cost three hundred and forty dollars for five kilometers, mind you. Disgusting. That's appalling. I would have dri- driven the car myself if I could have. If
3: the wheel wasn't, if the wheel flattened. wasn't off.
1: <laughs> But, I mean, to top things off, you know, then I joined Clash of Clans on Sunday by recommendation from my boyfriend who's, like, levelled up to the hell. I'm terrible at it. I don't know how people win the clashes or the fights or the raids or anything. And to remove a tree from your clan, it costs 10,000 gold. Are you now addicted? I'm not addicted. I'm just pissed off with it, so I'm going to keep playing and make it better than everybody else's.
3: And how else has this week been shit?
1: Oh, well, you know... I got my period this morning. That really topped it off. Mm. Got put in a tampon at six o'clock. By eight, it was leaked through at work.
3: Now, I mean, one of the questions that was put to me on the weekend, and I think you were there for it, was would I rather, what was it? Would I rather? Would you
1: rather be a woman or get a period period through your dick?
3: My response was I'd rather get a period through my dick.
1: Well, yeah. (laughs) I mean, if you're a woman, you're going to get your period anyway. And I feel like it's a lot more messier. You've got a tiny little hole to concentrate it through. We're just everywhere.
3: And I have to say, one of the themes of this this fortnight's episode of of Humidum is actually male privilege.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I think
3: that I'm gonna have to.
1: Well, lucky lucky you. Well, Mm. lucky you having a dick. Yeah. Because this is traumatic. This is absolutely traumatic. All of my underpants are covered in blood. And I know everyone wants to know this. Mm. And I know it's happened to every girl. You know, you're walking down the street sometimes and you see really pretty girls that mm. just look lovely. Mm. And I think you've had your period once and you've had blood all over your undies too. So don't think you're special. Mm. But they do. You reckon they do? I think they do. Mm. But every girl's had blood in their undies, and a car crash. <laughs>
3: Just over a week ago, Mark Latham launched a vile spray in his podcast for Triple M. Latham's taken a dive off the deep end of public opinion, throwing his lot in with the freedom of speech warriors the idiot right. These are people generally white, male, well-off, who claim that they are somehow being oppressed by political correctness. And I say that in inverted commas because I don't think these people really understand what they mean by political correctness. Latham's genuinely shocked that he can't use deeply offensive, politically charged words like negro to describe people, completely ignoring the fact that it's not really his place to say what should and should not offend people. The point is really this, why on earth do people need the right to use these sorts of offensive words? Why is it such a burden to not be racist, to not be sexist, to not actively make people uncomfortable, to abuse people on the basis of characteristics that they can't discard? The point sort of recurs in his plain, just weird attack on last year's Australian of the Year, Rosie Batty, whose campaign against domestic violence he described as a lefty feminist agenda, which is just so fucking stupid I can't even put it into words. Miranda Devine is another complete dickhead of the right, um, who said something similar when General David Morrison was made Australian of the Year last week, arguing that the awards are just a politically correct leftist joke. I don't actually understand who she thought was more de- deserving of the Australian of the Year. She puts forward no suggestions of a person who has acted in the interests of fellow Australians or exactly why she thinks that tackling institutionalised sexism and abuse in the Defence Force is a bad thing. But then Miranda Devine is nothing more than a fuckwit, outrage merchant whose buckets of slop could only pass for journalism at News Limited. This is a woman who criticised Google for politicising Australia Day, as if a day created by politicians, raved about by politicians, commemorating the arrival of Europeans in an inhabited country was not already political. Google's crime, pointing out with 100% historical accuracy that Aboriginal Australians might have a different take on the history of this day, that their story, one of sadness and dispossession and rage, is as significant as the whitewash that Miranda and people like Andrew Bolt choose to splash about the place. These ideas of the world can actually sit side by side. The idea that Australia is, as it is, is something we can be proud of, but at the same time, we can have a sense of the shame and tragedy and remember the destruction of a way of being. And the fact that these clowns on the right can't hold these two ideas simultaneously is evidence both of their subconscious awareness of, of the contradiction at the heart of Australian identity but also their completely brainless stupidity and finally in the annals of brainless stupidity the return of kings movement which promotes legalized rape on private property well this is the nadir of new conservative radicalism this sort of misogynistic primitive ass hattery has no place in a cosmopolitan country like Australia the views of these people shouldn't be respected they should be ridiculed Especially this Roosh, whatever his name is. They don't have a right to hold views that promote violence. They don't have a right to come over here to be sexist, to be misogynist, to be dickheads, to promote rape on private property. They do have a right to be told to shut the hell up for saying such stupid shit. I said this on Facebook. If your masculinity depends on the subservience of women to traditional gender roles, then your masculinity is as weak as piss. And you aren't a real man. You're just a loser, just like Mark Latham.
2: I never explain anything.
1: You're I are not many fair. of my colleagues
2: spend a lot of time yeah. with you, Sophie. <laughs>
3: <laughs> We're joined now by roving political operator Vanaxis, secret identity for <clears throat> I, I don't know. I don't know.
0: <laughs> just say it as my name. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you don't need to draw anything to it. We've got like seventy listeners. <laughs> All right. <laughs>
3: We're joined now by Van to discuss the latest lefty outrage. But first, I'd like to ask uh, your take on happenings in Syria at the moment. Russia and Britain have been engaged in a war of words, reports The Guardian, after the British Foreign Secretary Philip Hammond said on Monday that he believed President Vladimir Putin was worsening the Syrian civil war by bombing opponents of ISIS. Uh, he dismissed Russian criticism that he was spreading dangerous disinformation saying there was a limit to how long Russia could pose as a promoter of the peace process while bombing Assad's opponents. Hammond himself said, is Russia really committed to a peace process or is it using the peace process as a fig leaf to try to deliver some kind of military victory for Assad that creates an Alawite mini-state in the northwest of Syria? Now, Vinaxis, the pressing question is obviously, who has the bigger dick, Vladimir Putin or... Prime Minister of the UK, David Cameron.
0: Look, I mean, if it comes to simply a matter of who's crazier and who's going to go further, I mean, it's always going to be the Russian president. I mean, David Cameron, what is he? He's an eaten, trained schoolboy from the UK, perhaps with a small penchant for various forms of animal husbandry. Vladimir Putin's a former KGB agent. Remember, several years ago, he killed that spy by poisoning with polonium and didn't even pretend he didn't do it.
3: And that flared up in the press recently, I think.
0: Oh, yeah, because they keep going to revisit it. And, like, what's Vladimir Putin really like? I mean, he really is.
3: The real deal, KGB. He's,
0: he's the real deal. And, I mean, I absolutely do think that they would like to set up their own little mini state. In the same way, the way we tried to set up the new Afghan government, in the same way we tried to set up the new Iraqi government as being quite pro-Western, hmm. they're trying to set up, you know, a Commonwealth of Independent States, you know, like their bloc. And it really is just a revisitation on the proxy wars that were fought in Afghanistan back in the 70s. So it's nothing that any of us haven't seen before. I mean, I think Bashar al-Assad is a terrible person. But as we've seen, just going in and removing people and trying to do regime change doesn't work. And do you think Uh, at the end of the day, any extra
3: military force or a stable government is better than ISIS?
0: I do you know, like, I mean, because you, you're, you're you're sort of weighing up, you know, what is better. I mean, it's probably better to live under a fascist dictatorship than a murderous, self-brutalizing. I mean, because this is the thing, you know, like ISIS is so crazy as a form of government that it's not, it couldn't be self-sustaining. Like, no. it will it'll tear itself apart. Mm. And I imagine that probably true, a true fascist state that is a little bit more sensible and less kill their own citizenry will probably arise from it. What's what's behind the next door? I mean, what's your take on
3: the recent terror raid in Melbourne responding to the plot that apparently ISIS planned to pack dynamite into the into a of a kangaroo?
0: I think the whole thing is, I don't think that was a serious plot. If there has been any serious plots against Australia in the last 10 years, I don't think we know about them. It's certainly not anything I've seen in the press. There have been crazy people. There have been people that. Uh, there's no one seriously involved in anything. I mean, for a start, can, how would you control where it went? Like <laughs> it is just abs- I mean, how would you how would you get it to stay in there? Like, how would you get it to hold still? Like, it's just dumb. You'd be much easier to get put it on a dog because you can train a dog. <laughs> like, it would be so easy. What's the concoctist left concocted leftist outrage of the week? Well, I think the left outrage that I have. A particular vibration to is is two main themes running along. They're both to do with no platforming. This week we have seen Richard Dawkins was disinvited from the NECSS conference, where he was to speak about science and whatnot, and he was disinvited uh, from the Northeast Conference on Science and Skepticism because he shared a video on Twitter, which was like a cartoon that was made, I can't remember who made it, but it was for Sargon of a Cards channel. And it has like a f- feminist that a lot of people would recognize in a meme as Big Red. And it, it's sort of amusing, and it, you know, and he was obviously abused that it was offensive. And, and the way Twitter does, it sort of boils up into a big toilet of mess. <clears throat> and he actually has been trying to improve himself on Twitter because he keeps getting into dramas, which is one of the reasons why I think Twitter is a toilet because in 140 characters, you can't, you just can't convey meaning and it just it's too easy for people to go rap, rap, rap. but anyway he's like look I because apparently big red people were saying she had to go into hiding and you know violence which is not true so he removed the video and they're like no it doesn't matter you shared that you're gone and so he's been no platformed and it's just going i mean getting out of control and now in australia we've got this rape enthusiast and we're no platforming him he is obviously far more absurd, but the issue stems with these are universities, no platforming people, and they've no platform people like Jermaine Greer and Julie Bidal, pretty much anyone, depending on who was upset, the people currently that week on Twitter. And I mean, it's ridiculous. Sometimes they will ban someone like Milo Yanopoulos, and as I said, then Jermaine Greer the next week. So, but with this you know, the Return of the
3: King rape character, he's got nothing to contribute, well, nothing and, of value, and, that, that, and, that, and no need to give him a platform because there are universal truths, and one of those is that rape is wrong.
0: Now, were but he, he is... he point? is a little bit more because it does come to a, a point of public safety. Like, so, for example, when Gert Wilders came to Australia yeah. and people were like, we should ban his visa, he shouldn't be allowed to speak. And, I mean, he is a racist with a hideous haircut but he doesn't incite people to public violence. But the
3: ancillary effect of, of the sort of speech that they bring to bear is that you do... I mean, we've seen the rise of far-right neo-Nazi groups all around the world, and they're flaring up in Australia. And I think, in fact, there was a sort of a counter, counter-radicalisation initiative from the University of New South Wales, or one of them, that actually said the bigger problem in Australia is far-right sort of skinhead groups. Yeah, bigger risk of violence... Than any Islamic group in Australia.
0: Oh, absolutely! But the answer to them is not to force them out and get them underground, because that just makes people join the cults and buy into the it's all they're correct. I think the way to fight these things is to go all right then, like say, so For example, Blake Blair Cotterell, who is the I believe the current leader of the United Patriots yeah. Front. Uh, forgive me if I'm wrong; it might have changed. No, I think but he's, well, because <laughs> it's. It's Changing sort of like an episode of Neighbours, <laughs> except Gaya. Um I hope he comes after me and bashes me because he's sort of hot. Anyway, I digress. Now, the argument to him should not be to ban him speaking publicly, but should be to invite him to public debate against real people. Because when you have a number of people in an audience, you're going to have a certain number of people that are going there one way or the other, set. But you're going to have a lot of people that go who, who might be on the fence. And in my experience, and in the, like I would say that when you have someone, especially like Blair Cottrell, speak, they lose more support than they gain. The only sort of people that, as a general rule, I'm fine with no platforming are anti vaxxers and that's because they tend to their poison effects babies yeah, and babies exactly. had no choice and the thing is is that it's all well and good to go oh freedom of speech but baby died of whooping cough i would prefer if we didn't have dead babies for freedom of speech
3: final thoughts if there was one australian politician you could no platform who would it be
0: well if i could no platform any one person it would be luke foley Because then we'd be free of him and we could have a real leader of the opposition that that cared more about, like, the general well-being of the citizens of New South Wales and less about fucking trees in Sydney. Vinaxis, thank you very much for your time. It was a pleasure. (laughs) I'm going to log on to heinous anus and see how heinous my anus is.
3: Ah! Have you got a heinous anus? Hop into your local Australia post and visit Spotless Dot on the spot. They can unhanous your anus. <laughs> Our loyal audience from last episode <laughs> will remember Dr. Georgina McNeil, who has a PhD in art history, and she joins us this week to discuss.
4: Tracy Emin's bed. It's from the late nineties, mm-hmm. and it was a Turner Prize entrant. I can't remember if it won, but there, it certainly has um, endured as one of the most controversial entries into the Turner Prize in England. So, my bed consists of the artist's actual bed, um, covered in dirty sheets, and then surrounded by a sort of assortment of rubble. So, um, tissues, condom wrappers, lube, sort of tubes. Um, takeaway packets, uh, just general sort of rubbish, I guess. I think that it's one of those works which is seriously maligned because people don't take the time to understand it. Um, And what I would like to do is, I guess, explain some of what's behind it.
3: Okay. Um, What do you mean by people don't understand it?
4: The Turner Prize, I think, has just become a beacon for pundits to, you know, pund on what they see as the inaccessibility of modern art so so what's
3: the criticism of it usually
4: so i mean mainly it's that people just don't see how an unmade bed is art and it's
3: equivalent i mean so when i first looked at it Mm. i thought not not to say that i was sort of saying well i could do that because that's i think one of the default reactions that a lot of people it is but lay people have
4: i think the negativity actually goes even further to that where they don't It's not just I could do that. It's, you know, as you might have like with a Jackson Pollock or something like that. I think it's just literally what the fuck am I looking at? Like why is there a bed in a gallery? Um, And for that I would take the audience back to um, someone like Marcel Duchamp who is, you know, very well recognised as one of the absolute fathers of modern art, 20th century art, one of the most important sort of artists who's ever existed who produced the the famous ready-mades so the the fountain is the really famous one which is the urinal that was turned mm, up, so yeah, yeah, yeah. is the value of art in the craftsmanship of the artist so is it in their you know technical skills or is it in the conceptual kind of work that they put into it which i
3: think um one of tracy Emin responded to a criticism once where someone said well anybody could have created this bed and she responded but they didn't
4: no true it, so Tracy Emin, I actually think, in in the case of like many of these young British artists, they are actually incredibly technically accomplished, but creating a fucking you know <clears throat> perfectly woven basket or like oil painting or whatever mm. that doesn't capture what they want to convey. Mm. So Tracy Emin's whole shtick has always been that she fucking strips herself naked for her viewers, like she lays absolutely everything on the line for them and puts everything out there. So nobody else has submitted an unmade bed because nobody else is brave enough to show people the actual, you know, physical contents of their lives. If you ever get the chance, you should read Tracy Ammon's autobiography, which is called Strange Land. And it is one of the most amazing, beautiful, affecting books I have ever read. And in one chapter, she talks about The Week from Hell, which is the name of the chapter. And she doesn't sort of say it at the time, but in the Subsequent chapters, you can figure out that at the end of this period is when she created the bed and and handed it in as an artwork. So she talks about Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Monday, woke up with a horrendous toothache, took 50 painkillers and dabbed on a tonne of oil of clothes, went to pick up my pills too late and too late by two fucking hours for the morning after pill. Had to be fitted with an IUD, a piece of copper wire wrapped around a plastic hook indescribable pain as it was pushed into the neck of my womb, told it could be taken out in a week and I would not be pregnant. Tuesday, woke up sad, went to St. Thomas's Hospital for a lung scan and a chest medical, was told I had emphysema, kept a copy of my breathing test. It amused me, a drawing made of my own breath, still felt terribly low, knowing that I could end up in an iron lung. And it goes on, it's just this litany of, like, self-abuse and, like, you know, sex with unsuitable partners and, like, self-medication and alcohol. And when you look at something like My Bed, it's, it's, an, it's a record of where the artist has been. It's a record of this awful period in the artist's life. And you're not just seeing, like, a, a representation of her bed. You're seeing her actual bed with its, like, sweat-soaked
3: sheets. The question that, we might, that might come out of this segment, that might come out of what the fuck am I looking at, mm. if someone puts to you a pleb puts to you the question, what is art?
4: Well, my, and this is the question
3: we're going to try to yeah, answer over My the absolute <laughs> favourite
4: answer to that, can't remember who said it, it's going to be someone cheeky like Damien Hurst or Marcel Duchamp or someone, art is what you can get away with, which I love. Yes,
2: that's excellent. Um,
4: but also art is whatever the artist says it is and it's whatever the audience will accept as art and so there is kind of that element of collusion. And so if Tracy Emmons says that that unmade bed is art, and I connect it with sort of the rest of her body of work, um, then I'm perfectly willing.
3: Uh, finally, Georgina, you've um, spoken, uh, I think you've presented before on Zalia Banks.
4: Oh, yeah. And she's Get just announced it.
3: that she's backing Donald Trump.
4: Oh, for fuck's sake. Um, I, but cry. hold on, hold on. I assume she's joking.
3: Well, no. Um, I mean, she
4: is a mad bitch.
3: Someone online described it as the political equivalent of Raja Ghul from Batman, the justification for it.
4: There there was a magazine interview with her a while ago where she said all these awful things about America and she was like, I hate Americans and everyone's fat and, like, they're horrible to to people of colour, you know, which is irrefutable, basically. Mm, mm. Um, And everyone was like, oh, my God, how do you? So I can see how she would probably vote for Trump as a big kind of fuck you. Like, this country hates me anyway. This country's going to shit. I might as well vote in a get... sloth with a toupee made of I've got
3: a to give doormat. The actual... I only trust this country to be what it is, full of shit. Take shit to no <laughs> shit, so we may as well put a piece of <laughs> yeah. shit in the White House. Yeah,
4: I, I see what she's I have no there.
3: hope for America. It is what it is. Capitalist, consumerist, racist land of make-believe. It's inherently evil and must feed. Wow. Yeah. That is some
0: strong. In conclusion,
3: worded. I think Donald Trump is evil like America is evil, and in order to keep America to keep up with itself, it needs him. Wow.
4: Yeah, look, I can't disagree with that. <laughs> TVH. So,
3: so should we be backing Donald Trump?
4: Jesus. God. So
3: Azalea Banks still gets a thumbs up?
4: <sighs> look, you can separate the artist from their work.
3: That might be the core message. Well, I mean,
4: someone like Picasso, for example, who I, you know, spoke about last week. I fucking hate Picasso. He was a dickhole, frankly. But his work is, you know, irrefutably amazing and important. Um, And then you have people like Woody Allen and R. Kelly, and you know, people of that nature. Bill Cosby. A lot of people are going through that kind of. Yeah, Rolf, Exactly. A lot of people. Who's now apparently releasing a new album. Oh Jesus.
3: A, a revenge, oh my god. a revenge album. Oh my god! Is
4: it going to be like Australian diss tracks?
3: <laughs> one of one of the tracks is like "Can't keep the fox out of the hen House or something <gasps> like that. Shut like, the fuck egg, up! I can't remember something. Can't along keep those the lines. fox
4: out of the egg house because he likes them young. <laughs> Jesus.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
4: but yeah, you, you can. You know, it's problematic and it's troublesome, but you, you can divorce the artist from their work and you can appreciate their work whilst also being completely cognizant of the fact that the artist is a cunt.
3: Georgie McNeil, <laughs> thank you for your time.
1: <laughs>
0: there is a recurring
3: campaign.
0: Pauline Hanson swanning about like Banquo's ghost.
2: Welcome to another episode of Ask Us Literally Anything, the segment where we will literally answer any question you concoct by forming a group of related words in your brain and squeezing them through your fingers onto paper or screen into a legible sentence suffixed with a question mark. I'm William Buckley, and in preparation for today's episode, I've abstained from answering any questions for the past three weeks. It's made my personal and professional life incredibly awkward, but I've done it all for you. This week on Ask Us Literally Anything, we've received two questions over Facebook, smashing our previous record of no questions at all. So without further ado, our Facebook friend writes to us, I'd like to know, would paying Jamie Clements one million dollars just to fuck off be worth it, just so I don't have to see his stupid fucking face at state conference? Well, a million dollars is a lot of money. And I don't give out investment advice, but I would say no, no, a million dollars is not worth it just to make him fuck off. And just so you don't have to see his stupid fucking face. I mean, if you don't want to see his face that much, you can poke your eyes out with a ballpoint pen. If I've learned anything from working in the corporate space for the past five years that you need to treat every other human being you come in contact with as a potential business transaction. Does Jamie Clements represent an opportunity to make more money, not to waste a million dollars giving it to him just to fuck off? And if all that fails and you still can't stand the guy, try a different tactic to get rid of him that doesn't involve such a huge investment of capital. I mean, try violence, honking noises, until he leaves you alone under the assumption that you're an insane person. Our second question that we've received over Facebook. I have a problem with my annoying ex-copper neighbour. Every weekend he wakes me up either mowing his lawn or using a power saw. Would it be wrong to burn down his garden shed and salt his lawn? Well, this to me seems like a classic case of trying to treat the symptom rather than the cause of your problem. If you burn down his garden shed, he's just going to wake you up noisily building a replacement garden shed. If you salt his lawn, he'll wake you up by screaming at the sky, why is there salt all over my lawn? I'm going to take your idea and I'm going to make it better. You need to burn down your neighbour and then salt his grave so that he doesn't resurrect as a loud, annoying zombie. Don't worry about the fact that he's an ex-copper policeman burn just as well as regular human beings, I should know. We have another question that's come in about dreams. and We all love questions about dreams. I keep having this recurring dream where I'm eating my husband in slow measured bites while he desperately begs me to be less judgmental. Should I be worried? Listener, look, nobody likes listening to people talk about their dreams. It's boring. Side note to that, yes, you probably should be worried. This episode of Ask Us Literally Anything was brought to you by your shopping bags bursting open and all the shopping falling out of them and going down the stairs and the jar of mayonnaise breaking, so you have to clean up shards of glass covered in mayonnaise. It shouldn't make you this upset.
0: Flesh eating zombies. Oh, my are you Never ending. It's just like the whole Gina's
1: hole.